Behind every song is a voice, and every voice is a story. The journeys behind the voices brings life to the music that shapes each of us. Brought to you by Visible Music College and in partnership with the largest online Christian music site new release today, this is Behind the Tunes, and I am your host, Austin Black. Together, we will explore those journeys, the journeys behind the artists that shape the landscape of today's music. Our guest today is Aaron Keyes, worship pastor and founder of 10,000 Fathers Worship School. In part one of my interview with Aaron, we'll see his passion for writing songs that are grounded in truth, how he changed the way that I lead worship, and that he was quite deprived of some really great music as a child. This is Behind the Tunes. Aaron Keys, worship pastor, worship leader, founder of 10,000 Fathers Worship School. Uh, you can find all about him in that school at AaronKeys.com. Aaron, thank you so much for being here today, man. I appreciate it's it. exciting. Thanks, Austin. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I shared this a little bit with you before we start recording, um, but I saw you a number of years ago now at a, at a church in the area where I live, and uh and, and I remember watching you lead worship, and that's truly what it was. Not in, and and walked away, said, "My goodness, I think I, I think I've been leading all wrong." And <laughs> uh, and so the uh, the thing I, I just carried with me, and and what I would encourage encourage anyone that's listening to go um, and and one check out Ten Thousand Fathers, but just find find videos of Aaron like online. The script, the amount of scripture that you use. In leading worship blew my mind and, and so funny and i loved it and it changed it literally changed the way i led worship well i guess god can speak through you know balaam's donkey he can speak through, <laughs> through me too that's right that's right i love that i just inspired insecurity i can go all around the world inspiring people to think they're doing it all wrong that's great yeah, I, I went home and just and, and burned my guitar and resigned like <laughs> oh, no no it was it was wonderful and it, it really was it was a blessing to say wow like that's that is uh the way that we can truly lead people to mm -hmm. the throne of god and to to not just play music but to really just intertwine his word um, with these songs and to lead them in such a beautiful way. And so I, I've always wanted to thank you for, for that. Wow. That's amazing. Well, I, I have to do it. Like I'm not a good enough singer or musician to, to wow anyone. I've got to give them some, some kind of substance, you know, that's right. <laughs> so, it's funny. Like people used to say to me, um, how encouraged they were to see a worship leader use scripture. And I was always so confused by that compliment. I just didn't understand why it was encouraging or why it was uh, unexpected. Uh, and to me, that was like, we got a problem if this stands out. I think it should stand out if people don't do it. Um, if people lead worship time and time again without scripture coming out of their mouth, or at least reading from it, you know, um, I think it's weird for people not to do it, but people thought it was weird that I did do it. And so that that's so, some of why we um, actually started the whole school that we've done, because... We do think that worship music has, you know, it's a, it's a young, it's still, it's kind of a young thing. It's about 50 years old, really, if you go back to 1969. 
Um, and it's still kind of forming, right? And uh, I don't know that it's always being formed by, um, you know, people who've done lots of Bible school or training or seminary and hold terminal degrees. It's, it's a lot of young people who love God and get out a guitar and sit at a piano and sing their songs to the Lord. And then God takes those songs around the world. And then we put those people on huge stages and say, how do you do it? You know, and they're like, well, <laughs> you, you sit at your piano and you sing. But <laughs> they forget about, you know, the decade of, of seeking the Lord and seeking through scripture and pouring out their hearts. And that, that doesn't show up on YouTube and that doesn't show up on liner notes and albums and Spotify. Like we, we see the fruit, but we don't ever see the root. And um, so now I think it's a career option. You can just be a worship leader and, and we can even like staple fruit onto our lives, you know, and we can get fake fruit. That's right. <laughs> um, no, that's right. But to really grow anything that's going to be life-giving to anyone, it's just going to take a long time of pretty classic, unsexy stuff that, you know, has marked a lot of people before us, and God willing, we'll keep marking a lot of people after. Well, it just it just shows that there's nothing new under the sun. And, and as we try to invent this and that, that it all goes back to, you know, the Word of God is the one that gives life. The Word of God is the one that, that illuminates Him and shows us who He is. And if we just rely on that in everything we do, then it will shine through in whatever we do um, in essence. And so that's what really stood out to me. Now, you're in the Atlanta area. Is that home for you? What's home for you? Yeah, we've been here for 20 years. Um, I've been on staff at Grace Fellowship Church here in uh, a lot of people probably haven't heard of Grace, but they've probably heard of House Fires. And so mm-hmm. House Fires is the worst band that came out of one of our campuses. Um, great guys. We love them. Pat Barrett came out of our church, too. He's doing his own thing now. So, um, yeah, we've been here for 20 years. And uh, we, we've we raised our family here. We started our school here. It's been a great place for us. When did you begin leading worship? Oh, goodness. Uh, my family planted a church when my freshman year in high school, uh, sorry, in college, and, um, you know, the worship leader didn't show up one day, <laughs> and they had to have somebody get up there and do it. And someone said, well, you can do it. And it was right be- <laughs> right after that that, um, I don't know, maybe right before that, that I was leading worship for summer camp out in California. Same thing happened. Uh, I was I, I played piano all my life and started learning guitar, um, and loved playing with the worship team, but I, I didn't sing, you know, and the worship leader didn't show up or left camp, and they were like, somebody's got to get up there, and somebody said Aaron can do it, and I was like, no, he can't. <laughs> I didn't sing. I, I'm honestly still not much of a singer, but people keep throwing me up there. Um, they're, I guess they're really desperate for scripture. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Nobody else is doing it, man. You found the thing that nobody else is doing. <laughs> That's right. The hard work of actually internalizing scripture. <laughs> <laughs> well, so like you, you talked about, you said you played piano for you know much of your life. You weren't, yeah. you weren't obviously you said you didn't sing much. So was right. music something that I guess you, you grew up with? Was, was it something in your family or was it just something within the church you were a part of? Uh, no, we grew up independent, fun, like independent Baptist fundamentalist. I was born at Bob Jones Hospital in South Carolina. Okay. So, I mean, everything was anathema. Everyone was going to hell. Like if you're, you know, I got in trouble because my, my bangs touched my eyebrows or my, my hair touched my collar. It was like a crazy conservative 
Christianity. Yeah, sure, <laughs> sure. And so with that came a ban on any music that wasn't like Steve Green or Salty the Singing Hymnal kind of thing. Yeah. And so I've actually had to confess one of my biggest grievances with my parents is the musical history that they robbed me of by being a kid <laughs> born in the 70s. Like, ah, oh, there's so much good music and I missed it. So I've had to obviously go back and do a bunch of homework as an adult that a lot of other people just got through osmosis because their parents weren't uh, fundamentalist. <laughs> well, what what led you out of that? What, 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 what made you decide, you know what, I don't think this is the direction I need to go? Huh, that's a great question. Uh, probably uh college you know like going moving out from home and going away from the christian school and you know my dad was a pastor so i spent my whole life in this church in a christian school that was a part of the church pretty small world small bubble sure um but then you know once you go around people who love god and they didn't grow up with those same um constrictors that you did or whatever else um it's like wow you get a whole new perspective for what this looks like and so I start, I start hearing uh, about much better artists, not better. Uh, well, a lot of them were better, let's be honest. <laughs> uh, a lot of artists and bands and stuff that I I just didn't listen to when I was a kid growing up. I mean, I remember the Under the Table and Dreaming album just like blew my circuits, you know. I was like a classical pianist and I was hearing this kind of poppy rock thing that had these classical diatonic, all these really interesting things going on and uh, Petro wasn't doing that. Uh, DC Talk, you know, I, I loved, I loved my music growing up, my Christian music, but I hadn't heard anything like that. And then I started to get into like James Taylor and David Wilcox and more of the singer songwriter stuff. You know, I was a college student, so it had to be acoustic. Like get, That's get right. that trap kit out. You know, I need to hear it to Jimbe. <laughs> and so jars of clay, Cavus Call, all that kind of stuff. So it was a fun stage of music and. Um, I don't know. It wasn't, there was never just like this rejection of Christian music, but my perspective just started getting bigger and bigger. And I just think there's amazing sounds uh, all around the world. There's amazing different styles um, all over the nations. And the Bible is, you know, it's an amazing thing about the Bible is that it, it was obviously written thousands of years ago in a very tribal time. Like everyone kind of looked out for their tribe, but how many of how many times the Bible says stuff like all tribes and all nations and all peoples. It's really unique in that way. You know, everybody kind of looked out for their tribe and their nation and their people, but the Bible's constantly saying, no, God bless all the people, um, you know, working all the people. So I, I've just stumbled into, and, and then if you travel, you know, it's one thing to leave a little bubble, but you can still uh, live in a bigger bubble. That's the United States. And it, if you travel outside of that, then you start to be exposed to different instruments and different sounds and different styles. And so just, I guess, through travel and through friendships, um, just being exposed to more interesting and more diverse kind of sounds. I just, I love it. I love all of it. It's fascinating to hear you say, you know, I grew up and I was a classically trained piano player and to think, you know, like God was designing you and preparing you even then for yeah. for music and and to create music that you had not even yet experienced and mm. uh it just shows the power of god and it's, it's just fascinating when i hear people's stories to see those little threads that kind of weave throughout and say wow look where look where god was preparing this and nobody even knew it nobody even had a clue yeah true well it's cool i i feel the same way about um 
So I, I told you how I grew up in fundamentalism. Um, but once I, you know, after college, once I, or during college, I guess, once I started studying like the Holy Spirit, which was something that we didn't talk about in my church, um, and started recognizing, wow, there's so much more of the Lord than just the Bible mm. and Ten Commandments and John three sixteen. Like there's so, he wants personal relationship. He wants to fill me and he wants me to be abundant, not just barren and all this stuff. So um, once I was filled with the Spirit, when I was probably like, 20 um i just the next thing that happened in my life was an insatiable desire for scripture mm. um so there was a bible teacher out in oregon who i had connected with because i worked in uh my summers of college i worked out in northern california at this camp called jh ranch and so we would get to go up to this church every now and then in oregon two hours away and it was a calvary chapel church i had never heard of calvary chapel growing up in south carolina we didn't have them i don't think maybe there was one but i had never heard of it but their thing I mean, calvary chapel basically launched about the same time as the vineyard 1969 um so uh john wimber and some guys went hard after worship and the holy spirit and chuck smith and some guys went hard after bible verse by verse bible so both of those things came out of the jesus movement and i had just never heard anyone go through the bible with an openness to the holy spirit like that before and i was hooked so I'm 20 or 21 years old, filled with the Spirit now, and I bought, um, I used to, do you remember Winamp? There was a, there was a, <laughs> there was this app that you could play like MP3s on your computer back in the Napster days, you know? And okay, so yeah. App, it was like iTunes, you know, uh, or Mac Media Player, QuickTime, but it was called Winamp, and I figured out how to go onto this church's website and download, you were only allowed to stream it, but I figured how to like download all this guy's Bible teachings. Oh, wow. Um, and he had 20 years of Bible teaching. So wow. uh, um, I figured out how to like hack it all. And I would spend forever <laughs> like ripping through all of his Bible sermons to put them on my computer to listen to. And then he finally put out like a, you know, a 20 CD ROM set with all 20 years of teachings for a hundred bucks. I was like, okay, I'm going to give the guy hundred bucks <laughs> uh, because I've been stealing Bible teachings. Um, not really, but just, you know, uh, rearranging That's right. the, the delivery system. <laughs> um, so anyway, I, my wife was teaching second grade at the time. We had just got married. And so she was leaving early in the mornings and she was working on a master's degree at night. So she, I was basically working out of my house for, uh, well, all day. And it was kind of my year of being a monk. I would listen to about six to eight hours of Bible teaching a day and just take notes. And I would pause and I would, you know, I'd worship or I'd pray or I'd just have it on. And I took all these notes. So still to this day, um, I can't believe how many times um, in a conversation or in leading worship or in teaching or preaching or whatever else, I'll tap into something that I don't even remember when I learned it or where I heard it. And then I'll go, I'll go back through an old journal or old folder in my computer and find, uh, oh, that's where it was. It was from that Bible teaching mm. that I listened to 20 years ago or something. Anyway, all that to say, um, I, I look at what I'm doing now uh, with the school and with teaching and training with that year of intense Bible intake in the same way that I would look at my musical upbringing. Like God was preparing me for something. I had no idea what it was going to look like, yeah. um, but he was absolutely like giving me what I needed. That's, uh, you know, I always like to to talk to to people and say, you know, who was the person that poured into you or invested in you? And, and sometimes it's nobody, you know, in, in a lot of ways, which is sad. Um, 
but to hear you say basically in many ways, you know, as far as is this foundational aspect, it was it was someone. Did you ever did you know this person? Have you ever met him before? I met him. He doesn't know me. Uh, yeah. He wouldn't he wouldn't remember me. But yeah, I would say his name is John Corson. He's still teaching. He's amazing. Um, but even before him, uh, my dad was a walk through the Bible teacher. He's great, like real creative Bible communicator. He was great. And then the reason we moved to uh, to Atlanta 20 years ago to be a part of Grace was because of this guy, Buddy Hoffman, who planted this church and led the whole, you know, we're now seven churches and we're all one family and we're figuring out what that means. But he passed away a few years ago, about three years ago, his heart failed. And um, he was like the first real spiritual father that I had who wasn't just uh, pouring into me through CD-ROM, but was mm-hmm. inviting me into his house, you know, you know, you need someone besides your own dad. So right. my dad was awesome, still is. Um, but he was a real spiritual father to me, Buddy Hoffman, and he was a spiritual father to many, um, to the whole Grace family of churches. And now all the, he was so apostolic um, and brave, and he just he would do stuff that nobody else would do. Um, that he kind of created a bunch of. Uh, we, well, we we've identified his mantle as being kind of rooted renegade. So we're rooted in scripture and tradition and history and liturgy and all that stuff. But we're also renegade, which is we're a little wild and we're willing to try stuff and even to go places that other people uh, haven't gone. So our church, you know, after 9/11, uh, 19 years ago, we stopped basically all mission stuff that we were doing anywhere in the world that wasn't focused on the Muslim world. Hmm. Um, there's a thousand churches helping in Peru, you know, um, we stopped doing stuff like that and just said, look, it seems like the huge opportunity of our generation is to see Jesus raise up, uh, an apostle Paul who right now is a Muslim, but just needs to know Jesus and then can reach the whole Muslim population at 1.7 billion people, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, so we started rethinking what does it look like to share the gospel with Muslims so that it's good news again, because it hasn't been mm. the way it's normally taught. And because not, people are uh, offending Muslims, not because of the gospel, but because of cultural baggage and mm-hmm. whatever else. So we just started deconstructing that and then starting worship school and even house fires. All of these are different expressions of buddies, um, his heart, I think, in different ways. And we're all just kind of trying to carry it on. Yeah, it's uh, it's unbelievable what can happen when we just let the gospel be the gospel, you know, and just mm-hmm. and just cut it loose and, and set it free. Uh, well, as you're leading, you know, you I know you, you still travel and lead, and you lead there in, in your home church. Um, one thing that I'm always interested to to hear from different worship leaders is, you know, sometimes you'll you'll go to a group of people, and and you feel like there's a wall between you and them, um, as far as uh, leading them to the throne room of God. H- have you found, um, I guess, n- not a trick or anything like that, but how how have you uh, been able through the years to to tear down that wall? Because we don't have a lot of time often to tear down that wall between you and the people that are in those seats um, to to go together uh, to the throne of God. Well, I think it's the same thing that you identified uh, in your very kind words at the very beginning of this. Um, Scripture is living and active, and my anecdotes or or jokes or family stories or whatever might be helpful, um, and they might help bridge a path for people to trust me or 
to respect, hey, this guy's not going to do damage to us, you know. Safety is a huge thing that yeah. people need to feel in order to be willing to be vulnerable. Um, so I think scripture um, is so, authorita- so authoritative and it's so ancient that anything we can do to lead people with scripture, it's got so much more authority than I do. You know, like people might not know my name. They might not know anything about me. I might just be popping in to a new city, to a church that... You know, the worship leader loves me, but they don't even know anything about me, this, this congregation. And I can get up there and try to win them over to me and to establish respectability and trustworthiness um, intrinsically, or um, I can just point them to Jesus through Scripture. And they already respect that. That's trustworthy. Mm-hmm. So all, all I have to do, it's so much easier to get people to worship by using Scripture than than otherwise it's That's so right. much easier because they already <laughs> respect it they want to obey it they and they actually i think i think people want to be pushed they want to be stretched and even led um, but they are wary of being entertained when the entertainment's not even very good um and they're wary of being maybe you know misled in worship and i don't think anybody's out there trying to mislead people in worship but when i look back i think i've misled as much worship as i've led I didn't yeah. mean to, right? But I was using the room to make myself feel okay about myself, and I was—I've done any number of things, like getting self-worth out of how well this is going, or whatever. Uh, all that stuff is—it's <laughs> so insidious. But I think people pick up on—they um, pick up on these things. They can see right through uh, a shallow ego. That's actually this worship time is about that leader needing to be able to sleep tonight. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> that sounds terrible. No, no, I I've, absolutely understand. I've been that guy. So sure. I'm, I, I'm not saying anybody else has. That's just, I've been there. Well, that, you know, that, 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 uh, that feeble flesh within us, man, it's a struggle sometimes. We, sure. we, just, we just want a nice hug, you know, <laughs> to somebody to tell yeah. us we did all right. Um, you know, it's, it's funny you said a minute ago, you talked about that we, we can get caught up in the entertainment factor so often and, and really we're not that good at entertainment. And, and that's, that's couldn't be more true um, and because we, we, we do depend, I think, sometimes on, like you said, the entertainment factor. And I remember when it when it, the clearest picture I've had that we, the church, do not need to try and get involved in entertainment. And, and even, obviously, I knew that scripturally, but it was the clearest picture and example I've ever had. <laughs> A few years ago, my wife got me tickets to see Taylor Swift, right? Oh, yeah. So I go to this show. It's, it was in Nashville. And uh, it was outside at the uh, um, at the Nissan Stadium. There where the Titans play. Yeah. And it was such a show. It was unbelievable show. And, I, and the, one of the first things I said to my wife when we got in the car is like, the church should never get involved in entertainment because That's we can't funny. come close to this. But no, yeah. it's, it's it's exactly right. And I and I think another thing I love that you hit on a moment ago um, was I think people are starving for 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 the one true God. And, and they're trying to, to know who is he? And we, we waste so much of their time trying to make ourselves feel better or entertain them in such a way. And really all they're crying out for is, will you just show me who God is? Will you just help me know him? And, um, and so I, pre- I, I love what you said. I appreciate the heart behind that because I think that's exactly uh, what we need. And it's just a, a beautiful picture to see that, that just let God's word tell his own story. You know, let his words mm-hmm. tell who he is. And, and we just get yeah. to rest in that. Well, also, I mean, with that, um, I think people, you know, a lot of the new great worship stuff that's been coming out in the last 20 years, I mean, a huge pendulum swung uh, 
um, in the last 50 years. You know, before 1969, we were singing songs like A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Um, after 1969, we're singing songs like I Love You, Lord. Mm-hmm. Mm. And that's a wonderful, there's a lot of wonderful stuff that goes on when, when that emphasis moves from the transcendent to the imminent and the personal and the intimate. I get there's really good stuff there. But um, what it what it's brought in is a new wave of of worship songs that are primarily actually subjective, not objective. Mm. So A Mighty Fortress is Our God, that's just true. It doesn't matter who sings it because it's actually about God. It's not about what we think about him. But a lot of the new worship stuff is about how much we love God or how much we surrender or how we're really going to praise him or fill it and fill in the blank. And that might be true, you know, but it might not because it's subjective. Uh, and so with with con- a lot of contemporary and especially like even spirit filled stuff, we have to really watch out that we don't chuck the objectivity out in favor of the subjectivity. Uh, we, we really need to dig in to write songs that are still about God, like how great thou art, great is thy faithfulness. These songs, they are great songs, but there's a lot of great songs still being written today. It's just they're not normally as anchored in objectivity as those old songs that stood the test of time are. So, you know, Jesus, what a friend for sinners. These songs are actually about what God did, who God is, his character. So many of our songs today that are really great, and I love leading them, um, are about how much we worship. Mm. And in the Psalms, you find it going back and forth between objective, this is about God, and subjective, about our response to God. So we always need to have it going both ways. It should never just be, I think, 100% about God, like we're just robots and he doesn't actually have a relationship with us. Right. But nor should it be 90-10, where this is all about us. Right, yeah. Um, So, I mean, who am I that the highest king will welcome me? I am a child of God. Yes, I am. Um, You know, there are songs that are really great and really helpful, but are absolutely weighted heavily about you know to us Mm -hmm. and not that there's anything wrong with that but it it can be wrong if we're not cognizant that you know in the last six months um 80 percent of the lyrics we've been singing has have actually been about us yeah and not about god but Mm. people like you said people want to experience the powerful god and they want to grow in their understanding of god and as songwriters and as worship leaders, we're going to have to actually do a lot more work to write songs about God than about our response to God. Because one of those is going to be intrinsic, and then one of those is a little bit foreign. Like, we're going to actually have to go learn about God to mm. be able to write about God. We're not going to have to learn about ourselves to write about ourselves. We already know, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. It's harder, it's harder work, but it's worth it, and it actually stands out.
to Behind the Tunes with Austin Black, produced by Grayson Rucker. A special thank you to our sponsor, Visible Music College, a music and worship school that trains and disciples students for the music industry and the church. You can learn more about them at visible.edu. 
And you can reach the show at BehindTheTunes at gmail.com or find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Be sure to tune in next time as we go Behind the Tunes. <laughs>